I'm looking at my start time so I know how long I go. Uh, gonna aim for less than an hour. Can we do it? Yes, we can. You're gonna all throw tomatoes at me if I go longer than that. Um, no, I'm just joking. My wife texted me before I came out this morning. She goes, uh, are you all ready? And I said, yes, I'm ready. She goes, okay, don't preach too long. And I'm like, thanks for the encouragement. So, I know I can be long-winded, especially when I get going on different things I'm passionate about. So, we have been talking about the life of Peter and how he is a man who changes from being a man of shifting sand to a man of solid rock, to the solid rock that Christ um, is going to build his church on. And I love Peter because uh, he is just like all of us. We are all that thing, that type of a person where we need to grow into our faith every day. Uh, it's not one of those things where we pray and God snaps his fingers and you're done. It's a process, right? And we have to be a participant in that and we get to be, we get to grow. And sometimes that's a lot of fun because we see progress in our growth. And other times that's a little bit uh, painful and other times it's a little bit scary. And I think today we're going to be looking at a story of Peter where he he takes some massive steps of growth and then he gets really scared because of where that massive step of growth took him. Um, and so we're going to be looking at the passage uh, where Jesus is walking on water and Peter gets this amazing idea to join him. What was that about? And we're going to look at that. So before we start, though, let's pray and, and pray over this time and, and let, give it all to God. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it is our, it is our daily bread. It is our lifeblood. It is the thing that keeps us connected to you. It is the thing that allows you to instruct us and to grow us, Father. And I pray that as we look at this word, that you will open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to each of us. Because we each come to this place in different places, from different points of view, from different um, walks of life. But the beauty of the Holy Spirit in this word is that it speaks to each of us where we're at. Father, I pray that you will take my words, which can be so feeble at times, and, and empower them with the power of your Holy Spirit and give them exactly the power it needs, Lord. Because I don't want it to be about what I say, but about what you say. I trust you and I love you and I thank you for everything you're going to do in this time as we dedicate it to you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So if you will turn in your Bibles to the book of Matthew in the 14th chapter, we're going to start on verse 22. Uh, we're going to read this passage and then we're going to break it apart. Immediately, he made the disciples, he being Jesus, get into the boat and to go before him to the other side, this is the Sea of Galilee, that's what they're talking about, the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost, 
and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Okay, it's important to understand this passage in the whole of chapter 14, because there's several different things that are happening in chapter 14, um, and this is a continuation of one of the stories that we find in the middle of the chapter. Um, how many of you remember the story of the of the feeding of the 5,000? Um, a lot of us do. But if you don't, one of the times when Jesus is out with his disciples, the word is getting around about who Jesus is. And people are coming to him for lots of different reasons. Some are coming because of his teaching. Others are coming because he's healing He's healing the multitudes of their sick. He's casting out demons. And, and all of a sudden, he is found with this crowd of 5,000 people. And in reality, this isn't really a crowd of 5,000. It, it's a crowd of 5,000 men and their families. Um, in, in estimation, most likely, there was probably closer to fifteen or 20,000 people there. I mean, this is a lot of people. And if you know the story, the story is, is that Jesus is teaching to them. He's talking to them and they're listening. And all of a sudden it's getting late in the day and the disciples are telling Jesus, hey, Jesus, like, what are you going to do when it comes time to feed them? Like, it's getting night, like, it's getting to dinner time and, and there's, we got to send them away because they're going to need to eat. And Jesus turns it around on them and says, okay, then feed them. <laughs> he tells them to feed them and if I was a disciple, I'd be like, um, okay, how? And the disciples, I'm sure, got together. They did a little small grouping. They discussed um, what were the strategies we could accomplish this in. Um, maybe Peter was like, let's do some fundraising. We can hit the markets. And they realized there is no way they could go to any town and have enough food be provided for this large of a group of people. And pastor has talked about this story in previous sermons, and he talked about Andrew, and it's Andrew who finds this little boy, and he brings this little boy to Jesus, and this little boy has his sack lunch that his mom gave him to take with him. This is the boy's lunch, not the people's lunch, and he brings him to Jesus, and he said, Jesus, this is what we have found, and it's, um, oh man, I just like totally blanked. It's five, five loaves and two fish, right? That's right, okay. I had it switched in my mind for some reason. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And really, the loaves of bread are like dinner rolls. Really what it is. It's not like a loaf of bread. It's dinner roll. And Jesus said, perfect. Let's, and he blesses it. He thanks God for his provision. And then he gives those things to the disciples. And there's 12 of them, and there's only seven items, right? So they don't each get a whole thing. They each get a partial piece of that thing, whether it's half a fish or a half of a loaf. And they go out and they begin to distribute it. 
If you've ever seen any of the dramatized versions of this, they do lots of different ways to um, kind of dramatize this miracle. One of the worst I've ever seen was that um, <laughs> was that uh, more, more recent uh, God movie that I don't even remember the name of it because I, I hated it so much. Um, that uh, you know, this perfect-looking Jesus, he he takes the fish and loaves and he prays, and all of a sudden it's raining fish and bread, like. <laughs> I don't think that's what happened. I don't think this is cloudy with a chance of meatballs here. This is this was an act of faith on the disciples' part. He gives them each a piece of food, and he says, okay, now go out and start distributing it. I'm looking at my half of bread, and, and I would go to the first family, and I'd say, okay, um, you can have some, but some, not all. Like, there's not a lot. And I would imagine that it would... It wouldn't take long before the disciples realized what God was doing here, what Jesus had done. Because every time someone took some, there would be more. And all of a sudden, uh, a whole family is eaten, and they still have half a loaf. And then they go to the next family, and again, they all have eaten, and there's still half a loaf. I I couldn't imagine watching that. And, And think about the amount of time it would have taken to go through all of those people. And every time they finished with a family, they still had more. Think about the internal processing that those disciples are going through, thinking about what is going on. I mean, we know Jesus is amazing, and we know that he's something different than anything that's ever been before. But by the time they've reached about halfway through the people, they've got to be just going, Jesus is something different. He's got to be more than just a man. And the thing that I think is interesting in the story, and this is not even today's passage, see, this is why I preach so long, um, is that they, the first time around, they probably didn't give out a whole lot of food. But the Bible says that they fed until everyone was full. Full. And this is a world of poverty where I don't think those people have ever been full. So how many times do they have to go through the crowd? To say, oh, we got more. You can have more. I mean, that's an interesting concept. It is so much so that the disciples actually go back through with a bin for leftovers. And each of them come back with a whole basket of leftover food. Twelve baskets. Ironically, twelve disciples. One for each of them. They get this bounty of leftovers here. That's all happened. Okay? I just imagine what they're thinking, what they're feeling, how they are this active participant in this amazing miracle. And then Jesus says, okay, guys, I want you to get into the boat. We're, our, our next itinerary date is across the lake um, in this town. You guys go ahead. I'm going to disperse the crowd, and I'll meet you. And they obey. They get in. They start heading out. Now, the Sea of Galilee is just a giant lake, and it's actually a pretty shallow lake, if you didn't know. Um, and so... For, for this situation, it's important to understand for the situation we find Peter in later in the story, okay? So they, the Bible says that Jesus sends them out, they leave, they start making their way across the lake, and God, or Jesus, goes up into the mountains to spend time with God. He just goes and he has alone time with the Father. And, and we could do a whole sermon on just that moment with Jesus. Because it's so important. I mean, if, if, the Son of God needs to go and have devotions, you should have devotions, right? But he does. He goes away. He's gone for a while. And it says that when he comes back to the lake, 
The disciples are out in the lake. They're not just skirting the side of the lake. They're out in the lake. Now, the way that the Sea of Galilee works is it's this valley that um, basically the the coastal winds come straight down this this funnel of mountains into the Sea of Galilee, and a storm in the Sea of Galilee can pick up in seconds. And it's not just like, oh, this is a little rocky. Like It's like, oh, we are in trouble. And they didn't have giant ships. They had fishing boats that were small. And every wave, they're feeling it. And it says that they're buffeted by the wind, which means the wind is pushing back against them. So they're rowing across the lake. And because of the currents and the wind, they're rowing and they're getting pushed further away from the shore. It's how, how this is all happening here. Because really, normally they would stay pretty close to the, to the land because they know that storms are frequent and they don't want to get caught out in the middle of the lake because it doesn't take too big of waves for waves to start lapping over a boat at that time frame. And they're fishermen, most of them, not all of them. They know. They know that you don't go out in the middle of the lake. And so they're going. There's this storm building. And Jesus comes to them. It says that Jesus comes to them in the, in the fourth watch of the night. Now, unless you're a sailor and you've been on a boat and you understand watches, what that means is they, he comes to them in the early morning. He comes to them between three and six a.m. That's when the watch would be. They go in four hour, or three hour shifts through the 12 hours of night. Okay. So the fourth watch is that time right before daybreak. All right. They're, picture it. They're, they're rowing. They're rowing the boat. They're trying to get, you know, and I imagine that a, that a couple of them are working to make sure that the water is staying out of the boat as they're making their way to, across the sea. And Jesus walks out to them. I've seen pictures of this, and there's a couple of really good ones where it shows them like huge waves and Jesus is standing in the middle of these big, huge waves. But I think that a lot of people think that walking on water, anytime it's ever uh, you know, they, they, they use it in, in other mov- movie fashions. It's always people walking across very still water. And obviously it's very, it's not real, but it, it looks like, could you imagine trying to walk across a, a, a pitching sea? Like, I mean, Jesus is walking uphill on, in the water and then down into the valleys of water and he's making his way. And it says the disciples see him and they're terrified. Ghosts were a very real thing for them in their culture. Um, this isn't the only time that Jesus is believed to be a ghost. We find after the resurrection that when they're in the inner room, they believe he's a ghost when he appears to them at first. And so they see him and they're terrified. And, and it says that Jesus speaks out to them to assure them that it's him. He says, take heart, it is I do not be afraid. Now, the English language um, doesn't translate this right. It really should say, take heart, I am. Because this is ego eimi in English, or in Greek. It is, it is this exact same verbiage that God introduced himself to Moses as. I am that I am. He calls out, he says, take heart, I am, meaning I am God, do not be afraid. 
And Peter, Peter hears this, and I don't know if Peter made the connection right away. I, I think that it was after they got back, they were safe, that they were able to like kind of parse through the, the circumstances and be like, wait, he didn't just say take heart is me, Jesus. He said, I am. Like, I am the one. But Jesus, or, but Peter hears this and he, he, he goes, Lord, if it is you, if it's really you, tell me to come. I want to know what Jesus thought in that moment. Like, Peter is Jesus's greatest dream and also can be his biggest pain in the rear. And he so commonly is putting his foot in his mouth because often I think he's like me. He sort of can sometimes speak and then his brain registers what all he just said and was like, oh, wait a minute. Did I just say come? Like have me come out onto the, the thing? And Jesus replies, okay, come. And Peter gets out of the boat. I don't know what G- what Peter was thinking. If Peter thought, oh, I'm going to be able to walk on the water, or if he, th- I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, maybe that's what he thought. But he says, come, and it said, all it says is, Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water. Again, the boat is not setting still in placid water. It is rocking and pitching. I, I mean, I almost want to say that I could imagine Peter like sort of kind of tumbling out of the boat and crawling for a few minutes before he could get to his feet and then walk to, to Jesus. And it says he walked to Jesus. We don't know how far Jesus was away from him. We don't know how long Peter actually walked on the water with him. I would imagine it was far enough that it wasn't like you know, Jesus is right here, and I just sort of stumbled out of the boat and walked two steps, and then I'm I'm instantly sinking. I, I think that he walked for a little bit, not a long ways, because a lot of a lot of skeptics of this passage actually like to think that um, Jesus was in the shallows of the water. He wasn't actually on the water; he was just sort of, you know, ankle deep in the water, and and that's why he was walking on the water. But we know that's not true because. It's what happens to Peter next couldn't happen in the shallows of the water because Peter begins to sink. He takes his eyes off of Jesus and he is looking around at the wind and the waves, whether maybe, I mean, anything could have happened there. Maybe a big strong buffet of wind hit him or a big wave came up between him and Jesus and and all of a sudden the realization of where he was and the circumstances that were surrounding him came back into focus for him and it says he begins to sink and one of the most i think one of the most important things happens at this point realizing that he's sinking he cries out lord save me and jesus is there he picks him up, and I would like to say they then walk back to the boat because it doesn't tell what happens. He picks him up, and then all of a sudden they're in the boat. They get back in the boat, and he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And instantly, the wind ceases. The storm is over. And everyone in the boat looks at Jesus And they say, truly, this is the Son of God. Now, there's our passage. Now let's start to kind of parse it apart. 
I've done a little bit of it, but let's let's really go through this a little. This passage is a is a reprisal of another passage that Matthew um, uh, references in chapter eight, where Jesus calms the storm. Uh, and we most of us know this story. They're in a boat, very similar to the boat they're in right now. They're going across the lake, very similar to what they are doing now. And a storm kicks up, very similar to what happened now. So much that it says that the water is coming into the boat and they are sinking. And Jesus is with them in this passage, but he's asleep in the back. He's in the back of the boat. He's sleeping. And the disciples are bailing water. They're panicking. And I imagine there's some kind of a conversation happening here on like, okay, who's going to wake him? Somebody needs to wake him up. We've got to get word. Like, this is the end. He shouldn't die sleeping. We need to, like, maybe he could do something. And I, I, who was the one that got the short straw that had to be the one to wake Jesus up? That's the question. These are the things the Bible should tell us, but they don't. We'll have to ask Jesus when he gets there, when we get to heaven. Someone wakes him up and says, um, we're, we're drowning. We're going to be dead soon. I just wanted you to know. <laughs> and Jesus stands up. I'm, this is Sean's paraphrase. This is not how the Bible depicts this. Jesus stands up and he talks to the storm in that moment. And the, the verbiage that is used in the Greek is the verbiage that I use to my five-year-old when he's doing something he shouldn't be when he's acting inappropriately. It's the, it's the language that a parent talks to a child is really what is said there. I mean, he says what he says, but it's the, the, the way that they connotate it and they use it, it's, it's this very much, hey, that's not appropriate. Let's settle down now. And instantly, the wind and the waves are, gu- are done. And in that passage, they again say, truly, this is the Son of God. Because there's very few things that can control the weather, control the environment around them. And God's, to the Jews, he's the only one. And here Jesus is controlling the storm. And in this story, here he is walking on the water like it's dry land. You know, there's other passages in the Bible that talk about God walking on water. Did you know that? In the Old Testament, uh, there's, there is passages in Job and Habakkuk, I think is the other one, where it talks about the Lord walking on the seas. All of these imagery in the moment are bypassing the disciples. I'm sure they don't think about it in the moment. They're like, man, I remember this passage in Job where you know, talked about God walking on the waters. Like, that's what obviously what's happening here. But now, and obviously later in the in Matthew's um, life, he has worked that out, and he wants us as the readers to understand the significance of what is happening there. Not only is he walking on the water like God walked on the water in the Old Testament, but he actually says, Ego a me, I am, which is the the actual name of God. And, and whether those are the things that drew Peter to the place where he says, hey, if that's really you, let me come to you, and he gets out of the boat, I'm not sure. 
And if it's not, that's even a greater step for Peter because he's trusting more than the fact that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God. He, he's really believing in something greater there. But remember the day they've had. They've just watched Jesus feed close to 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Already, this sign of the God who provides for all. And then there's the sign of Jesus walking on this wa- on the water. And Peter says, okay, I'm coming. If you tell me to come, I'm coming. What a huge step of faith for him. And often in our lives, steps of faith seem crazy in the moment. And even afterwards sometimes, when you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you moved to that part of the country with like nothing. But that's where God was leading you. That's where you felt God was taking you. I can't believe you quit your job, but that's because God was giving you something else and you were, but you had to take this step of faith to move to the next thing. Churches take steps of faith too. We have to take steps of faith because if we don't take steps of faith, then churches die. If we, if we get stuck in the comfort of the boat, because you know, in Matthew's terminology here, the boat is a church. And, and if we get stuck in the boat, because I mean, think about the disciples who didn't go. Think about what they were thinking. Oh my gosh, Peter just got out of the boat. Is he crazy? But then he starts walking. And I want to, I want to tell you if I was in that boat, I'd be like, wait a minute. I want to do that. I want to walk on the water too. Come on. Let me come, Jesus. Right? I mean, we want to do the, we want to do the big things. But often we have to see someone else do it. And the problem is, is if that, if nobody takes that step, then the church doesn't ever take the step sometimes. And we don't want to be that. We, we don't want to be the, the church that sits in the boat too often. We want to be the church that takes the step of faith, like Peter did. Now, this whole sermon series is Peter from shifting sand to solid rock. And we think that it's a linear process, right? Like every time we encounter Peter in this series, we're going to see that his shifting sand has solidified a little bit more, right? Till he becomes the solid rock. And I want to say that I don't think that's how faith works. I think that faith, and, and honestly, it's not just what I think. This is how John describes faith in the book of John. He describes faith like a muscle that you have to work out. And there's going to be days where your faith is just like, oh, ripped. I am super strong today. And there are going to be other days where your, your faith muscle is like so sore because you did, you know, leg day that day and whoo, that hurt. We as Christians have to be like Peter and realize that it's not going to be always an upward movement. There are going to be movements where the shifting sand becomes rock hard. Like when Peter said, hey, if it's really you, come. Let me Tell me to come, and I'm coming. That first step, that's a rock hard moment for Peter where his faith is solid. But then he keeps walking. And, and I imagine that his faith is, 
is feeling really good at that moment, but then the circumstances take over, become into focus sometimes. And I know that we know how that feels because our circumstances are not always easy. They're not always something we want to be involved in. Sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances that we downright hate and they can overwhelm us and they can make us scared and they can be just constantly draining on us. But just because the wave has come in front of Jesus doesn't mean Jesus is not there still. One of my favorite analogies of, of faith is, is where we compare Jesus to the sun. And today is a great example of that. Right? Jesus is the sun. He's always there. He's always present in our lives. But sometimes the circumstances make it feel cloudy and rainy, or in this case, smoky, and the sun is a little bit harder to see in those moments. But that doesn't mean it's not still there. It's not still out there, and we're not still rotating around it. It, it, He's still there. And just because Peter got got distracted and starts going down doesn't mean that he's bad or that he's lost his faith. It just means that sometimes our, our circumstances can overwhelm us And what we do after they overwhelm us is the thing that shows whether or not we're working our faith muscles. Peter could have gone down and just screamed. He could have tried to swim back to the boat. But it says Peter, once he was sinking, called out to Jesus, Lord, help me, and Jesus was there. Our circumstances, they're always going to be there. We don't get to live through life in a bubble, even though sometimes in the quarantine it kind of feels like we are. But we don't live our lives surrounded with bubble wrap, right? Bad things happen. Painful things happen. Great things happen, but circumstances are circumstances. And when those circumstances overwhelm us and bring us to a place where we, we, we sometimes take our, our eyes off of God, All Jesus is waiting for is for us to call back out to him. And he's there. Just like the son is there, just like he was there for Peter, we just, he calls out to us, or we call out to him, and he's there to pick us up. And he says, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He's not chastising Peter here. He's not saying, man, you really have no faith. And he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, you of no faith. He just says, well, why did you doubt me? Why did you doubt what was happening? It's the exact same verbiage that he uses in Matthew 8 when the disciples wake him up in the storm. Oh, you of little faith. God is the God of the universe. God is bigger than whatever we are enduring. And he will make it through with you. He'll let you walk above the circumstances. He'll let you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as it says in Psalms. You have to fear no evil, or you can fear no evil, because you know who is your shepherd. You know who is guiding you. One of the commentaries I read on this passage this week talked about how why Jesus came out to the boat. I don't 
the, he proposed the idea that Jesus wasn't actually going out um, because he needed to go out to the boat to get to the next place they were going. He would have just met them there. That was his plan. But he saw they were struggling. And so, like a good shepherd, he went out to assist his, his flock. Just like a good shepherd, he comes to us in what seems like our most desperate moments to assist us. And like Peter, we need to go to him in those moments. And even when we get overwhelmed, we just have to remember, Jesus, help me. Jesus, give me your strength. And he does. He's there. He's faithful. And he'll lift you up. He'll carry you even. Uh, like, you know, that famous poem, Foot, Footprints. Is that what it's called? So famous, I remember the, the name of it. You know, where they're walking on the beach. And there's two sets of footprints, yours and God's. And, and it seemed like every time you went through hardship, the second set of footprints went away. And the, the, the man goes, where do you go in the hard times? Why do you leave me when I'm struggling the most? And God says, no, 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 no. I'm not leaving you. That, you're getting it all wrong. Those are my footprints. I'm carrying you. And he will carry you. Just like he carries Peter back to the boat to safety. And he saves, the, in this sense, the church. Just like he saves our church. Just like he saves the entire church. Just like he wants to save all those in the world around us. So, we have to take steps of faith. We have to be willing to get out of the comfort zone of the boat, which doesn't sound like it was super comfortable because it sounded like it was in a big, it was like potentially going under, but it was way more comfortable than getting out of the boat onto the water, right? Sometimes we have to take that step. And then we have to trust that once God calls us out there, that he's going to help us continue out there. And he's going to meet us out there, just like he met Peter. And even when we get overwhelmed, he'll pick us up when we call out to him. And he'll bring us back to safety. He'll bring us to, to the next phase of wherever he's taking us. And that's the beauty of who Jesus is, is that he's always with us. He never leaves us. He is forever faithful. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We trust you. We thank you that you truly are God, that you truly are the one who carries us in our weaker moments. You are the one that gives us the strength and the boldness to take steps of faith that can seem scary and crazy in the moment, but you are faithful to keep us up while we do it. Lord, give us the, the, the vulnerability that when we get into trouble or when we get overwhelmed, that we are constantly re screaming out to you. We're reaching out to you for you to pick us up. We don't just say, we're fine, we're fine, we'll make it, we'll make it. I can swim back, I got it. No, no, it, I, I'm strong enough. Peter was not strong enough. Help us to see that in our own lives. Now we can call out to you and you could lift us up because really it's all about you. It's all about who you are in our lives. It's not about what I make of my life. It's about what you make of my life. You are amazing. We trust you and we love you. We hope that you are with us as we know you always are. Make yourself present. Make yourself just knowable every day. 
Lord, you know each of our situations, and we trust them into your hands. Be with us this week as we go. May we always be close to you. In your name we pray. Amen.